1: listeners welcome back to buried motives we're glad you're joining us today we are super excited to have you join us because i have a question for you what is a big life event that is often planned to take place in the
0: summertime oh i've got this one it's a wedding you're right just a couple weeks ago i took the kids hiking and when we were at the top of the mountain there was this beautiful lake there and as the kids are playing in the lake up behind us comes a couple in their wedding clothes. Full on wedding dress, she hiked up to the top of a mountain to get pictures done. Are you kidding? No, I thought, are you crazy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe she's super fit. But if that were me, my hair would have been fallen down, smushed up against my face with sweat, my <laughs> cheeks would have been red.
0: <laughs> I was just so impressed at this couple. They hiked all the way up. He carried her like little bag. They had their whole wedding party carrying stuff like it was incredible. I mean, it wasn't a super hard hike, but still, it was a hike. Wow, that is remarkable. It was a wedding to remember, I'm sure, for all of them. Yeah,
1: that's really doing a wedding, Canadian style, that's for sure. (laughs) And in Canada, our peak wedding season is April through August, because most couples want to be able to enjoy their special day without the risk of frostbite.
0: That's right. It's only warm during those months here. It's
1: true. or if you want to have some nice outdoor pictures, which I can imagine that that hike would have made it so worth it for that couple when they see their photos later on.
0: Their pictures will be gorgeous. Mm -hmm.
1: I know for me that summer and early fall have consistently been peak times for wedding cake orders. And Murphy's Law, if I take a wedding cake order, it's almost guaranteed to be scorching hot temperatures that weekend. That's how you have to bake the cake
0: in a scorching hot kitchen.
1: Exactly. Baking wedding cake can be an all-day event, and I melt in the heat with no air conditioning. So that's not my favorite, even though I do like making wedding cakes. They are very beautiful. Typically, a wedding should be a time of celebration, a day dedicated to love and new beginnings. Mortality should be the last worry on a new bride and groom's minds as they prepare for one of the best days of their lives. Weddings have a sense of magic about them. But the one we are discussing today quickly went from magic to tragic. Most brides are preoccupied with things like flowers, how she looks, and remembering her vows. The thought of your wedding day being your last day should never enter your mind. Sadly, the victim in today's case would not make it to her own wedding, she would be murdered just hours before it was scheduled to start. There isn't a lot known about the upbringing of today's dirtbag, but we don't really need to know what he was like as a kid. He had clear motives for doing what he did, none of which can be explained by childhood abuse or trauma. In fact, most people who knew today's killer were shocked to learn about what he did. Almost no one saw it coming.
0: Oh, that sounds awful. Not what you would dream about when you were picturing your wedding day.
1: Absolutely not. But unfortunately, this was one bride's reality. On September 26, 1999, Gladys Ricart was planning to marry the man of her dreams, She was surrounded by her family and bridal party at her home in Ridgefield, New Jersey, a home she shared with her mother, Anna Rosario, and her 20-year-old son, Davis Rickart, who was going to be walking her down the aisle.
0: Oh, so she's an older bride.
1: 39. Okay, so not terribly old. Mm -mm, Just a new beginning. Right. Gladys was beyond beautiful, both inside and out. On the day of her wedding, She had her dark hair elegantly placed in an updo, adorned with white silk ribbon and a sparkling tiara. Her dress that she absolutely loved was form-fitting on top and then billowed out at her tiny waist. It had a sweetheart neck, lacy long sleeves, and tied up in exquisite crisscrosses on her back. She had on pearl drop earrings, and her makeup was done to perfection. Her nieces were her bridesmaids, and they wore the lightest sage green and champagne colored silky dresses with matching gloves that came up just above their elbows. The flowers were all white. It appeared that Gladys had planned everything perfectly. From the photos and video of that day, it looked like she was about to have what only can be described as a fairy tale wedding.
0: It does. It sounds like she's a princess. I gotta see oh. a picture. Yeah, look her up. She absolutely does look like a princess. Mm hmm. Gorgeous. You can tell that a lot of planning
1: went into making the day just perfect. The wedding was scheduled to begin at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Gladys' fiance 36 36-year-old James L. Preston, was already waiting for his bride's arrival at the Church on the Hill in Flushing, Queens. Last-minute preparations were underway. The bride was all ready and had spent some time taking pictures to remember her special day. Just before heading out to go to the church, Gladys wanted to have a special moment with each one of her nieces who were in her bridal party. She had each niece come up one at a time so she could kiss them, hand them their bouquets, and then take a photo together. Suddenly, a man appeared in the living room of her home and pulled out a .38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver from his brown briefcase and fired two shots towards the radiant bride.
0: Just out of the blue. Mm-hmm.
1: Gladys's older brother Juan was in the room and quickly lunged at the gunman. But the gunman was able to push him off and continued to fire two more shots towards Gladys causing her to fall down over the couch. The shooter managed to get even closer to his target and shot her one last time, making it a total of five shots fired.
0: That is a lot of rage. It was. And can you just imagine the scene? Against her white dress, all of the blood? It would have been shocking.
1: Juan was able to tackle the perpetrator to the ground when he attempted to reload the gun. What? He wasn't done yet? No. No. This sick dirtbag was clearly not done yet and had intentions of doing even more damage.
0: Like shooting her again or shooting more people? I think more people.
1: Three of the shots fired did hit Gladys. The initial two shots were believed to have hit Gladys. One hit the top of her right arm and the other one entered her back, I assume as she turned to run away. The final shot was fired from a much closer range and entered her head behind her right ear, killing her instantly. Ugh. The room was filled with her family and loved ones. Everyone ran for cover, but all would ultimately see the devastating aftermath of this brutal attack. Later, during the trial, the jury members would also see exactly what happened, because the videographer, who was hired to capture the entire day of the wedding, got it all on tape. He didn't duck and cover? He did, but it took a while for him to realize what was happening, so you can see when she's getting those first couple of shots fired at her. Oh. I watched an edited version of this video and I honestly got goosebumps while watching it. You can see the happy expression on the bridesmaid's faces change to shock and horror. Gladys turns around and looks her killer in the eyes. She immediately turns to run for her life. The camera gets shaky and you can hear blood-curdling screams. At one point in the video, you can see a bridesmaid's leg slide across the floor as she lunges for safety leaving her satin shoe behind as it falls off her foot and is left on the floor. September 26, 1999 should have been the best day of Gladys's life. Instead, it was her last. I will go into a little bit more detail about this day, but first, let's look at how we got here and what led up to this chilling day and horrific murder.
0: Where's her son in all this?
1: He was right there. He witnessed it all? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I can't even imagine what they all went through watching this happen.
0: It would be so traumatizing. Mm-hmm.
1: Gladys was born on October fifteenth, 1960, in the Dominican Republic. In 1983, at the age of 23, she moved to the U.S. She lived in the Bronx with her sister and attended Lehman College, where she studied accounting. Later, she moved with her son to Ridgefield, which is in Bergen County, New Jersey. One source said that when she first moved to America, she had to leave her son until she could earn enough money to have him join her. That would have been so difficult. Really hard. But she was not afraid of hard work and worked as a cleaner to make this happen. So I don't believe she was without him for very long. By 1989, Gladys became the supervisor of an accounting department for a travel agency in Midtown Manhattan. Gladys was described by her loved ones as loving to sing and dance. She loved dancing so much that she took salsa dance lessons. She was kind and vivacious and adored by those who knew her. She had grown up poor in the Dominican Republic, but people said that growing up that way, Just made her more determined to work hard for her accomplishments. She sounds incredible. She really was. She had her life together. One fateful day, Gladys met a man while on the New York subway who, unbeknownst to her, would ultimately end her life just years later. They met in 1992 when she was 32 and he was aged 40. This heinous man was named Augustine Garcia. He was also born in the Dominican Republic. His birth date was March 21st, 1952, making him close to nine years Gladys's senior. He too moved to the U.S., but had moved years prior to Gladys, when he was an impoverished teenager. As I mentioned, there is not a lot known about his childhood, but that information is really not needed. A clear enough picture is painted of him in his adulthood that will help give us clarity on why he turned out to be a dirtbag who was essentially a wolf in sheep's clothing. Augustine had black hair and brown eyes. He was 5'9 and weighed 175 pounds. When friends and associates later found out what he did to Gladys, they were genuinely shocked because he was the poster boy for living the American dream. The name Augustine Garcia and the word success were once intertwined. He was a true rags-to-riches story. During his more than two decades in the United States, Augustine had become a prominent businessman and was living in North Bergen, a township in New Jersey. Augustine was the president of a local chamber of commerce. He ran a daycare center as well as a vocational school. The graduates from his school were praised each year at a ceremony that took place at the Hilton in Midtown. If that wasn't enough, he also had a nonprofit organization called Associates of the Dominican.
0: He sounds like he's a nice guy. He's incredible, the good that he does for his community. But did he get too used to being the powerful one that always got his way? Exactly.
1: He dedicated much of his time to helping Dominican immigrants with immigration and legal processes, paying taxes, and booking airline tickets. He rubbed elbows with the elite and fit in with their community. He was friends with the mayor and multiple congressmen. In 1996, he was even the Grand Marshal of the Dominican Day Parade. He had become a leader among the Dominican community. They looked up to him, and he reveled in the praise and cheers. It was like he had become a celebrity of sorts. The Spanish press loved featuring him in their publications and did what they could to snap a shot of him.
0: Oh, wow. He does sound like a celebrity. He does. I want to see a picture of him. He was very well admired. I was expecting something different.
1: (laughs) You are disappointed? (laughs) Yeah. But these are all like after he's been caught pictures. I guess he looked pretty slick back in his day. Okay. Not only did he play the part, but he looked like it too. It was said that Augustine was a sharp dresser. He was clean cut and wore perfectly tailored suits. He was well-educated, well-mannered, spoke well, and drove a shiny black Jeep Cherokee. Plus, he served and gave back to his community. People who met him were more often than not impressed. He seems like kind of the perfect guy. Right. As a single woman, you would think, he's a catch. Mm Mm-hmm. To top it off, he was a doting single father raising his two children, a daughter and a son. Women do this all the time, but as we know, our society looks at it differently when it's a man raising his kids alone. Both should be met with the same amount of admiration and compassion. I couldn't find too much information on the details about him getting custody of his children, but after learning about what he is like, I almost wonder if he used his connections and strong-armed his ex-wife out of seeing their children. And this is just totally my speculation, but what I think probably happened.
0: Interesting. So he is
1: all about the power then, you're thinking? I think so. Either way, I am sure he relished in the praise being a single father would have brought him. Because he's doing it all. He's on top. He's leading. He's rubbing elbows with the mayor and all the congressmen. He's being praised for being a single dad. He's successful in all his businesses. He's running this non-profit. He's giving back. He's got a nice vehicle. He's dressed to the nines. He's all about his image.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: But he's giving back.
0: Yeah. He looks like he's doing the right things with his power and with his newfound fortune. Exactly.
1: No red flags at the beginning. Not from the outside looking in. The president of the National Supermarket Association said, quote, When I first met Augustine, I thought, finally, we have a first class guy who can lead the Dominican community. He was smart, articulate, and full of great ideas. Understandably, Gladys fell for Augustine's charm, self-confidence, and killer smile. He let her see what he wanted her to see. It would take some time before she would get a glimpse of his other side. The side that was controlling, competitive, selfish, self-centered, stubborn, and wanting
0: all eyes on him. It is interesting, those characteristics that actually propel somebody forward to be successful can be so negative at the same time. It's really true. It can be multifaceted, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. One thing Augustine could not handle was the appearance of failure in his life. Moises Perez said about Augustine, quote, When he shook your hand, he tried to squeeze it to the bone, letting you know he was powerful, that he was important, strong and dominant. That is such a intimidation display. It really can be. But when I read that too, I don't know, I prefer a nice strong handshake compared to a limp one.
0: But a firm handshake is very different than somebody like trying to squeeze your hand off just so they can see if they're going to get a reaction out of you.
1: Yeah, needs to be firm, but not bone crushing. Right. Moises Perez continued to say, quote, In retrospect, it was a reflection of low self-esteem, which I thought was really insightful. Mm -hmm. Perhaps because he had struggled so hard to get where he was in life, and because many people viewed him almost like a superhero, he could have felt this immense sense of pressure to
0: keep up the facade. I can see that. It's a long way to fall when you're up top. And when you're feeling like on top of the world, it feels like everyone else is trying to claw their way up there to topple you so that they can take your position. Exactly.
1: Yeah, he would have felt like he had something to defend. Mm-hmm. Why can't he just been a good guy? Why can't this just be who he was? Well, he probably did start out as a good guy. He did. Genuinely did. In the beginning of their relationship, Gladys and Augustine were twitterpated. They were both successful, but Augustine introduced Gladys to what would be viewed as high society. He loved to take her to events and showed her off like a prize, even referring to her as his wife when he would introduce her to others, although they were not ever married. She is beautiful. So I can see how that would stroke his ego. Oh, yeah. She would have been one of the most beautiful women in the room every single time. Mm Mm-hmm. After a year of dating, the couple decided to take their relationship one step further. Gladys and her son Davis moved in with Augustine and his two children in their North Bergen home in 1993. This arrangement would only last about two years. It was said that Augustine and his kids treated Davis like an outsider. And so although Gladys and Augustine stayed together, they felt it best if Gladys and Davis moved out. It was causing just too much contention. So how is there ever
0: going to be a future for that relationship then? Right. But living together was not working out. I find it interesting that they continued the relationship after finding that out. Maybe
1: they were thinking Davis is getting close to adulthood. So maybe after Davis moves out and is out on his own, maybe then they were making plans.
0: But even though when your kids leave your house, they're still part of your family and you still have to get along with everybody. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was surprised too, because a lot of people would have just ended the relationship at that point. Yeah. For me, my kids would be a part of the relationship. A package
1: deal. Mm hmm. Not to shame Gladys, but she did stay with him. It would be hard to say
0: no to him, though, at the same time.
1: And by then, they've been together at least three years by now.
0: Maybe they thought everybody would mature more with time.
1: Right. Because even if you think of living with your siblings as a child as compared to getting together with them as an adult, it's a whole different situation. It is. In 1995, Gladys purchased a house in Richfield, New Jersey. I believe the same house that Augustine would later gun her down in. Eventually, Gladys began to see her long term boyfriend's true colors. He started to become controlling and possessive and had violent outbursts. Like temper tantrums? Exactly like temper tantrums. Gladys' sister, Norma Rosario, would later say that Gladys told her that after a fight, Augustine pulled a gun out and pointed it at her. Allegedly, he did this a total of three times. Gladys was quiet about the growing abuse but was growing more fearful of him as the days passed. That's taking it to the next level. Oh, big time. And I think because she was so quiet about the abuse, I think there's a lot more that happened that nobody will ever know about. Right. Because it's hard to imagine that you just go from being so sweet and kind to all of a sudden pulling out a gun. That is interesting. I think there had to be some transition going on to get to that point. Right. Finally, after catching Augustine cheating on her for the final time in December of 1998, Gladys ended the relationship. Wait, finally, like he did it more than once? More than once.
0: That's awful. He's being super possessive of her, but then he's stepping out on her at the same time? Yeah. What
1: a dirtbag. Total dirtbag. He just felt so entitled to everything. Wow. Her knight in shining armor had definitely turned out to be a dirtbag. Augustine had cheated on her before. But this time, it was even worse. Augustine told Gladys that he had to work late. So Gladys decided to surprise him by taking him dinner to his office. When she got there, she found him in the act with her best friend.
0: No way. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's so cliche. It really is. That is the epitome of every affair in a movie.
1: (laughs) It's so true. And she's just being so kind, always working late. She's feeling sorry for him. I'll go bring them dinner. And then to have it be the best friend.
0: Both dirtbags.
1: Yeah. And that's just an extra dagger in your heart. Because not only then are you breaking up with your significant other, but you're breaking up with your best friend.
0: Who would have been the person to help you through that affair.
1: Right. It would have been so devastating. It really would. And that's when she was finally like, okay, this is it. We are done. Yeah. And she stuck to her word. In true, narcissistic abuser fashion, Augustine could not take no for an answer and refused to accept that after so many years together, they were over. He relentlessly begged and pestered her to take him back. Allegedly, he wouldn't even tell people that they had split up. He just refused to believe it. He just pretended like they weren't. Right. Soon after the breakup, Gladys met a man named James Preston. He worked for an internet advertising company. They met at a restaurant and the two immediately hit it off. Gladys knew that she had met her soulmate. It didn't take long for the couple to become engaged. It was only a couple of months, but if you know, I guess you know. Their wedding date was set for Sunday, September 26, 1999, but as you already know, Gladys would never make it to the chapel to marry her dream man. They both were eager to get married as soon as they could and start a family together. In the weeks and months leading up to the murder, Augustine relentlessly stalked and harassed Gladys.
0: Well, it's hard to sell the image that you're still dating a person when they're engaged to somebody else.
1: Right. But I don't know when he found out about the engagement. He followed her. He repeatedly drove by her house. He called her over and over again. And he even went as far as to approach her mother to aggressively ask her to get her daughter to be with him again. What? He was trying everything that he could. And he did know the family well, because they had been together, it was I think right around seven
0: years. And I can see her mother kind of thinking he is this awesome catch, and so maybe he thought he had some clout with her mom. Probably.
1: A few weeks before her wedding day, Augustine threw rocks at her window until he broke it, and then attempted to break into her home.
0: Well, that's just normal romantic movie gesture, isn't it? To throw rocks at somebody's bedroom window? But not to break the window and try to break into the house.
1: This was apparently when he discovered James inside
0: Gladys's home. Oh, so now the tables are reversed. She walked in on him at the office and now he's getting the same treatment back. Right, except they're broken up now and she's doing nothing wrong. Right, it's not the same scenario, but I can envision from his point of view, that's what he's walking into. Oh yeah, he would have felt that she
1: was being unfaithful. Right. Yeah. And I think maybe he was just throwing the rocks and then discovered that James was inside and maybe it escalated to breaking the window. Hmm. During this incident, Gladys called 911, but she never pressed charges or took out a restraining order on her ex-partner. Do you think it would have made a difference? I don't know. It was said that Gladys feared that if she did file a report, it would only anger him further and make things worse for her. Gladys continued to keep what was happening mostly a secret. Some believe that she was embarrassed to be in this type of situation. Learning this was so heartbreaking. Augustine was such an intimidating dirtbag that he prevented Gladys from reaching out for help when she truly needed it. I imagine that the thought likely crossed her mind that no one might believe her anyway. She would have been reporting a very influential man in the nearby communities, a man whose connections went as far up as the mayor. You can see how that would be intimidating. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite Gladys repeatedly turning down Augustine's demands to get back together, he would not relent. The week prior to the wedding, Augustine left 100 white roses on Gladys's lawn in an attempt to win her back. It is scary how some partners can think that something like Flowers can erase the fear and broken trust that you have instilled into your ex by pulling a gun on them. Flowers is not going to fix it. It was clear that Augustine was not used to hearing the word no and was not accepting the fact that he wasn't going to get what he wanted.
0: Still such a big jump to murder, though. I know.
1: And so let's go back to that. Coming back to the wedding day, it was reported that Augustine's black Jeep Cherokee was seen driving past the brick home on 825 Elizabeth Street in Ridgefield, New Jersey, where Gladys lived. It would have been quite obvious by the people outside all dressed up and the white Rolls Royce and limos parked in front of the house that a wedding was underway. It is debated if Augustine discovered that the wedding was happening by chance that afternoon when he drove by to stalk his ex, or if he already knew it was going to take place on that day. He would later claim that he realized what was happening when he entered the house and that it made him temporarily insane. But personally, I'm not
0: convinced. He carried a gun and ammunition, but he had no plan to use it?
1: Right, And this is the part that can't be debated, is that after driving past the home, he returned about an hour later. So I don't know if he drove past the house, realized there was a wedding, went and got the gun and came back. Right. Or if he was heading over there because he knew it was the wedding day. So he may not have found out until he drove by.
0: Okay. It's hard to believe, though. I mean, people talk about their wedding. People talk about going to a wedding. And so somewhere in the community because it sounds like it's a fairly close-knit community that somebody would know something and word would get to him.
1: You would think so. But I did find it peculiar that he drove by and then it was an hour later that he came back. Right. This time he parked and walked up to the house. He was wearing one of his fancy suits and so if you didn't know him he would look like he was ready to take part in the wedding festivities. Four men, including two of the groomsmen, were standing outside of the residence and were able to testify that they had seen Augustine drive by, then return and approach the house. And did they know who he was? Some of them did. Okay. And because some of them did, one of the men ran into the house to warn everyone inside that Augustine was there. Juan, Gladys's brother, immediately went outside to confront Augustine before he went into the house.
0: Her brother is going
1: to protect her. Right. Juan walked up to the black jeep and asked his sister's ex what he was looking for. Augustine claimed that he was invited and just wanted to congratulate Gladys. He then began quickly walking up to the house.
0: Is Juan going to let him? Well, obviously let's him.
1: But she didn't talk about it. So I don't think all of her family knew about the
0: behaviors that were taking place. She was keeping this hush hush. Oh. Very few
1: knew about the abuse.
0: So they didn't understand what a big threat it was.
1: Right. Augustine, followed closely by Juan, walked up to the front door and tried to open it, but it had been locked. Juan noticed the briefcase hanging on Augustine's shoulder and tried to grab it, but Augustine was able to elbow him off. Augustine would later say that at this point in time he was struck by Juan, but Juan would deny hitting him, which would be corroborated by others at the scene. Augustine continued to knock until someone did open the door. Augustine walked in, with Juan still right behind him. It was clear by the video that no one had told Gladys that her ex was there. I'm thinking it likely happened so fast, and no one wanted to upset her on her special day.
0: Yeah, I agree. They are probably trying to keep it special for her and take care of it themselves. Right.
1: Also, because Gladys had kept the stalking and abuse mainly to herself, a lot of the people inside the house would have had no idea that he was terrorizing her. They would have just known that he was her ex.
0: And even that's a little unusual.
1: It is, but not unheard of. Right. Once inside the house, this piece of garbage headed straight for the living room. Inside the room was Gladys, dressed in white, sharing a special moment with her nieces. The room was full of loved ones and family members, including children, but that didn't stop this dirtbag from reaching into his briefcase, pulling out his gun, and open firing on the woman he claimed he couldn't live without. After Juan was able to wrestle Augustine to the ground and get the gun away from him, he held him at gunpoint until police arrived at the scene. Good for him. Yes, but I thought how horrific for a brother to go through this, keeping focused on the man who just murdered his sister right in front of him, while screams and chaos would have been unfolding all around him. If anyone could have used the temporary insanity plea for murder, it would have been Juan.
0: But he did the right thing, so my heart really goes out to him. That is pretty incredible, because you can just imagine, even after the adrenaline, after just having a fight with this man, That the ability to control that and not shoot him after seeing what he just did to your sister, that's pretty incredible.
1: Like you said, his sister would have been right there, Mm -hmm. blood on her, bright white dress. Yeah. And sometimes we just don't think about those kinds of things when we're thinking about a case.
0: It would have taken so much control.
1: Uh Uh-huh. My hat goes off to him. The neighbor, Janet Donnelly, said that she had seen Gladys posing for pictures in the front lawn earlier. She watched while Gladys happily waved to neighbours and took pictures with her nine bridesmaids and three flower girls. That is a big wedding. Really big. Janet stopped looking after she saw them all go back inside the house. She was concerned when she later heard a bunch of noise and so she ran outside of
0: her own home to see what was going on. Can you imagine all the commotion from that many people in the house and then guns being fired and everybody running and screaming?
1: And that's exactly what Janet was describing. She said people were running around, screaming, and you can see that on the video once the videographer made it outside. She also said that Anna, the mother of the bride, collapsed right in the middle of the street from what she had just witnessed.
0: She had heart issues and had to be medicated. That would have been so devastating to see your child gunned down like that. Oh, the worst. Can you
1: imagine how traumatic this was for everyone? Not only did you see your loved one be murdered, but you couldn't even run to them. You had to run for your own safety. Augustine was trying to reload his gun, and I believe he was going to shoot more people that day. It was said that people ran everywhere outside, into the basement, and even some hidden closets. When police arrived, Augustine was immediately arrested and taken into custody. The distraught guests at the house were taken to the Ridgefield Ambulance Corps and the Ridgefield Community Center. There, they had to be interviewed by the local police. The victim's home had to be processed, and it would take hours until her body was carried out of the house. The white Rolls-Royce was still parked in front of the house, waiting to take her to the chapel.
0: Oh, that would have been a sight.
1: News of Gladys' murder shocked everyone who heard it. Bail was set at $5 million, and a murder trial was scheduled. What might have been more shocking is what some of Augustine's friends and associates said about his arrest. I'm not going to mention their names because who wants to be associated with this guy? One person said, quote, I'm shocked and very depressed. I believe everyone who knows him here feels that way. He's a decent, hardworking, honest man. Another said, quote, he is a hardworking, amicable guy with lots of energy. There was no indication he had any personal problems or that he would react violently like this. One of the councilmen who represented Washington Heights said, quote, Not only are we mourning the tragic death of this young woman, but all the good that Augustine Garcia ever did has been wiped out. It would feel that way. It would. Another political figure said, quote, The worst thing is that we just can't explain this. We thought he was such a strong character that he had everything under control. I guess he had a side he didn't show the world. He was two-faced. Yes. These statements are understandable, but this next statement makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Which made me want to include their name, but I'm hoping that they were just in a state of shock when they said what they did. This person, in connection to his nonprofit, said, quote, "I feel bad for this woman, but I am crying for Garcia." What? Yeah, I feel bad for this woman, but basically, my heart is breaking for him
0: because they lost their idol. Maybe,
1: maybe, but you don't feel bad for the woman and cry over the murderer. Sorry, no. Returned sender.
0: Right. Maybe he meant something more along the lines of what the other guy was saying, like, we're saddened and it seems to erase all the good he did.
1: I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way.
0: It's not sitting with you, right? No. I can see your point.
1: Because the way that they said it was like, what happened to her was bad, but it's even worse for him. Right? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. So were they referring to him being put in jail? It was when he got arrested. This was one of the statements that they made. Okay. Or for the loss of legacy. I don't know.
1: It shouldn't have been either. Yeah. It's not both in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that statement. Maybe I'm taking it out of context.
0: It seems a little off.
1: Yeah, I hope this person has reevaluated how they feel about it. Despite having many people in his corner who could not believe he could harm a fly, there were a very select few who felt something wasn't right with him. A prominent Dominican businessman told of when he was supposed to attend an awards ceremony to accept an award, that when Augustine learned that this businessman could not attend the ceremony, he withdrew the award and told him that he no longer deserved it. What?
0: So he just wouldn't give him the award?
1: No. He's like, well, if you can't even make it to the ceremony, you don't deserve this award. I'm withdrawing it. Seems petty. Yeah. And like on your high horse. Yeah. Yeah. President of the New York Federation of Taxi Drivers said, quote, I found him very impulsive and very strange. I thought of him as someone who wanted power, and if he didn't have it, it would aggravate and frustrate him tremendously. That seems like a really accurate statement. It really does. Others described him simply as the guy who didn't like to lose. And I think this was honestly why he killed Gladys. If he would withdraw an award for just not being able to attend a ceremony, It fits that he would murder a woman who rejected him. If they were breaking up, it would have needed to be his decision and on his terms.
0: And it totally wasn't. Gladys called all the shots in that breakup.
1: Exactly. During the three-week trial, 47-year-old Augustine didn't deny shooting his ex-girlfriend. He couldn't. It was on (laughs) tape. However, he pled not guilty and claimed that he was acting in self-defense and was experiencing temporary insanity.
0: Self-defense from who? Where was she packing her gun? It's bizarre
1: what he says, and I'll tell you right away. His team argued that suddenly seeing his long-term girlfriend about to marry someone else induced a temporary mental illness called acute adjustment disorder. They claimed that this disorder made it impossible for Augustine to control himself. His lawyers argued that Augustine had driven past the house that day and saw that there was some sort of celebration. They said that he assumed that Gladys was throwing a party for her mother, and his feelings were hurt that he wasn't invited, and so he drove back to confront her. His lawyer said, quote, He just happened to stop by her house and saw all the limos outside. He was shocked. And I thought, how many people throw parties and rent luxury vehicles to sit out front? Again, I'm not buying it.
0: Yeah, that seems like a interesting story.
1: The defense then put forth the idea that once inside the home, that their client was attacked by the victim's brother and adult son, And so he shot out of self-defense. Right at Gladys. Right. He said that as they were wrestling on the ground, he pulled out his gun to defend himself and it accidentally went off.
0: The gun was already out of his hand. He had already shot her twice.
1: It's true. The video footage does not lie. He said Juan yelled at him three times that he had killed his sister and he replied to Juan that he wanted to kill himself. It clearly was not self-defense. Yeah. You can see in the video, he walks in, you can see his hand raise up with the gun in the corner of the frame. He starts shooting and that's when Juan tackles him.
0: And at any point, did he turn the gun on himself at all? No, of course not. He was just trying to reload to shoot more. Had he ever expressed any suicidal thoughts? No. Ugh.
1: It wasn't even self-defense. Because in fact, after Juan tackled him, he rolls Juan off of him, fires two more shots, and then gets closer and kills her. That's not self-defense. No. Fernando Oliver, the defense lawyer, said that shots were discharged and Mrs. Rickhart was mortally wounded. He continued to say, quote, I don't know how they were discharged, but when the facts come out, we will see who the real victim is. What?
0: What a slimy lawyer. Oh, it's so hard. Gross. <laughs> I don't know how they come out with these defenses and arguments for dirtbags. Yeah,
1: we'll see who the real victim is. Shame on you. What made them think that
0: Augustine was the victim?
1: Oh, because Juan and Davis apparently attacked him and he was just pulling out his gun to defend himself. And Gladys accidentally got shot. So it was actually Juan and Davis's fault.
0: But that's a blatant lie because the video shows something completely different. So how are they even going to think that's going to fly as a defense?
1: Oh, they try to say that the video was edited. And oh, okay. Yeah. He is a crybaby about everything. Okay. Does he go through lots of appeals then? So many.
0: (laughs) Because he's got the money
1: and he's a crybaby. Yeah, so many. I found more appeal documents than I did original court documents. Way more. He has little temper tantrums all the time. The prosecution painted a different picture of a man storming into a home and open firing into a room full of adults and children. They said, quote, this was a person who was out to kill the victim. And I agree. Well, that's what it sounds like you've described on the videotape. Yeah. Being the lowlife that he is, Augustine also used his defense team and the media to try and tarnish the reputation of the woman that he had just gunned down in cold
0: blood. Oh, that always rubs me the wrong way. It really does. Present your defense, but you don't have to drag the victim through the dirt.
1: Yeah. And he had an advantage over her that way because he was the media's little sweetheart. Right. Right. He claimed that they were still carrying on a relationship. He said they had sex just three days before the wedding. He also told everyone that he and Gladys were together and had gone shopping in the early morning hours on her wedding day. What? Now, video surveillance did prove that they were seen walking into and out of a store together. Huh? The video was played in court. It shows the two of them entering a 24-hour Pathmark supermarket in North Bergen at 1.20 a.m. In the morning? Yes. Augustine had his arm around Gladys. It was argued in the video that Gladys certainly looked distressed and uncomfortable in the video. No one believed the claim of an affair. Gladys was head over heels in love with her fiancé James. Josephine Fernando, Gladys' maid of honour, testified that she stayed the night before the wedding at Gladys' house, and that Gladys did go to the store around midnight or so to purchase a few last-minute things. Could it have been that he was stalking her and followed her to the store and then used intimidation to make her shop with him? She was terrified of him. She had expressed to Josephine that she didn't want her ex to even know
0: about the wedding. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So how does he claim then he just found out about it if he saw her the night before?
1: Right. And it wasn't even a planned thing for her to go to the store. Like, oh, I have to go out at midnight. It was, I believe some family had come in from the Dominican Republic. They needed something and she's like, oh, I'll run to the store for you and get what you need. Like maybe they forgot a toothbrush. I'm not sure what it was. Right. She was like, no, no, you stay. I'll run out and get it for you.
0: Being the sweetheart that she is. Exactly.
1: And I think he was stalking her because this is what he was doing relentlessly. I think he followed her to the store and then was using his intimidation to walk around and shop with her because people said when they watched the video, it was clear she did not want him near her.
0: Oh, I can just envision his little creepy ways of like, hey, fancy meeting you here. Throwing his arm around her and holding her there so she can't get out of his embrace. Right. Ugh. And he had already pulled a gun on her multiple times and she was afraid of
1: him. She did not want to upset him. So mm-hmm. she just kind of went along with it.
0: Interesting.
1: And then it was really a dirtbag thing of him to try and use that to prove that they were having an affair.
0: To come up with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other evidence that they were having an affair?
1: None. Yeah. And I do
0: not believe for one moment that they were.
1: This point was emphasized throughout the trial by the prosecution, how Gladys was fearful of Augustine finding out about her wedding. And I wonder if that is why her and James had such a short engagement. Right. Davis, Gladys' son, testified that no one had pushed, struck, held, or assaulted Augustine in any way to make him believe that he had to act out in self-defense. One member of the wedding party said that there was pushing and shoving, but nobody had struck anyone.
0: It's probably more chest bumping.
1: Yeah. Gladys's family felt outraged by Augustine's claims and how the media
0: reports were running with it, tarnishing her character. That would be so hard for the family. Yeah. Not only are you dealing with grief, but then to have so much anger against the media channels because then they're degrading their loved one. Yeah. That would just be salt in their wound, really. It really would be. Gladys's second cousin, Denise Martinez,
1: spoke to the press. It was too painful for the would-be groom, James Preston, and Gladys's mother, Anna Rosario, to speak about it. James could not bring himself to talk about it at all, but stood with the family. Talking about the press and the trial, Denise said, quote, we need to tell them the truth. They want to dishonor her in order to defend this scoundrel. While Denise was speaking, Gladys's sister, who was visibly distraught, said to her cousin, quote, tell them, tell them. He threatened her with a gun three times. He went to her house and he broke her window. Tell them. She spoke to him out of fear. She was scared of him. About the defense using self-defense as their claim of innocence, Norma Rosario, Gladys's sister, said about Augustine, quote, he didn't say a word. He just walked in and started shooting. If we didn't fight him, he would have killed the whole family. One bullet even passed by one of my daughters. She also stated about Gladys' and Augustine's relationship, quote, I told her to leave him. He tricked me. We treated him like family. Then we found out that he was a devil dressed up like a gentleman. And I thought that is the perfect way to describe Augustine. So I think that's what I'm going to name this episode. That makes sense. Yeah, a devil dressed up like a gentleman. The only previous dirt that was brought up about Augustine was that in the April prior to the murder, Augustine's nonprofit was criticized in an audit by the New York City Comptroller. It was said that $2500 was unaccounted for and that Augustine had received 11,400 in federal money for work that he could not prove he had performed. He was also criticized for hiring six relatives out of his staff of 26. That
0: always happens.
1: Yeah. But other than that, no prior arrests or criminal
0: record at all for him. But those all happened at the time of the murder? The April before. So, so he just, could have been a little bit more under stress and not handling things well. Maybe. No excuse, but... No, not at all. But you can see how those failures or that investigation, tarnishing his name and his image, would then lead into him being even more protective of his image. Right. And I think he viewed Gladys as a
1: prize that Mm -hmm. belonged to him. Yeah. And he wasn't about to lose it. In the end, Augustine Garcia was found guilty of murder, as well as unlawful possession of a weapon used for an unlawful purpose. He had also been charged with child endangerment since he opened fire in a room with children. A young flower girl had to be picked up and whisked out of the home to protect her from flying bullets. She was taken to a neighbor's house for safekeeping. Before his sentencing, Augustine gave a five-minute speech directed to Gladys' family and friends. He expressed love for them and regret for what he did, saying, quote, I pray to God every day to take my life because it'll make you happy. I hope that God will come to heal you and help you. I love you, and the fact that I took Gladys's life when in fact I would trade my life 1,000 times over hers. He then started quoting Bible verses, saying that he was enjoying helping young people in prison and was looking forward to when God would dry their tears and heal them.
0: Sounds like a good PR stunt.
1: Yeah, barf. His lawyer said that he acted in a jealous rage and asked for leniency with the sentencing. His lawyer, Fernando Oliver, said that the shooting was a five-second lapse in a lifetime of otherwise good judgment. He said, quote, this is somebody who played by the rules and that he prayed it would count for something." But it sounds like there are people in his past that very clearly state he didn't play by the rules. Right. Lethy Liriana, one of Gladys' nieces and bridesmaids, was allowed to address Augustine before his sentencing was ordered. She said, quote, When you walked in that day, you almost shot me. She spoke about the mental and emotional toll his actions took on Gladys's family. Apparently, one of the teenage nephews even had night terrors over the ordeal. I don't know how you couldn't. No. She ended by saying, quote, That's not simply a five-second mistake. That's going to affect my family for the rest of our lives. Good for her for pointing that out. And the rock star judge does as well. He said, quote, We sentence crimes, not all the previous events in one's life. I do not consider this a five-second event. This is stalking. This is obsession. Jury members later said that they didn't buy Augustine's emotional display, and the judge didn't buy it either. On February 1, 2002, he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Four more years were added on for the firearm charge. He was sent, and I believe still remains, at the East Jersey State Prison in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Judge William C. Mahon called the murder a horrendous event and said about Gladys, quote, this should have been one of the happiest days of her life. Instead, it was the last day of her life. The prosecutor stated he was particularly satisfied with the ruling because of how the defense tried to blame the victim. A few very quick updates before I end. I read an article in the L.A. Times that stated the family later sued Augustine and was awarded four and a quarter million for their suffering.
0: Oh wow! But really, he was quite wealthy. Yeah, I'm not sure how much he actually had of that
1: to pay, but I believe they would have got some because he was pretty successful in life that way.
0: All of his appeals would have eaten up a large chunk of his money, though, too.
1: Maybe. I couldn't find anything that said what the actual payout was. Mm. A wake to celebrate Gladys's life took place in Upper Manhattan, but her body was flown back to the Dominican Republic and was buried there. She was laid to rest in her wedding dress and veil because she had made such a big deal about how much she loved her wedding dress. It was just so special to her. Yeah. That's chilling. It is. She was 39 years old. The oh so sorry dirtbag, Augustine, has filed more appeals than I could count and has tried to bring civil suits against the prison and its staff. You seem real sorry there, mister. I decided to not even give him the satisfaction of bringing up his lengthy concerns and pretend injustices. To commemorate Gladys Rickhart's life, an annual event was created in her honor, and I thought this was really cool. It is called the Gladys Rickhart and Victims of Domestic Violence Memorial Walk. The walk raises money and awareness each year for victims of domestic violence. Women dress in wedding gowns or in all-white to participate. They ask men to show their solidarity by dressing in all-black. Looking up past ones, it appears that it takes place on September 26, the anniversary of Gladys's death. Last year was the 22nd year for it to take place. A virtual one was even held during COVID lockdown. People walk carrying photos of Gladys as well as their own loved ones affected by similar crimes. And actress Selma Hayek has even been known to participate in this event. That is quite incredible. It really is. I was really touched by the photos of all these women dressed in wedding dresses doing this walk to support women of domestic violence. So if you live in the area, I think it would be a wonderful thing to participate in and help raise money for this important cause.
0: That's another reason to get squeezed back into your wedding dress. (laughs) Or if you don't, like I wouldn't, you go to a thrift (laughs) store and buy a new one. (laughs) I can see just how fun that event would be, though. And what a great way to celebrate her life. Yeah, I felt
1: like it was a really beautiful way of women helping women. And even when I was looking through some of the flyers for it, people were donating wedding dresses that you could walk in if you didn't have one of your own. Hmm. That's pretty cool. And they had big posters of her wedding day picture as they're walking. And that is the story of a wolf hidden in sheep's clothing, a man willing to kill a woman as punishment for not giving into his demands, the devil dressed like a gentleman, dirtbag, Augustine Garcia. I hope you never get out of prison. He is a dirtbag. He absolutely is. And I'm glad that his political connections did not keep him from serving time.
0: And I hope that when he comes up for parole... It's denied, deny, deny. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully he has to serve his whole sentence. I always find it so incredible, all of the different types of memorials that victims' families do for their loved ones. It really is an admirable thing to do.
1: I totally agree. And I feel like it would maybe be a little healing to know that you're helping other victims so that hopefully the same thing doesn't happen to them. It's such a
0: worthwhile cause. Mm-hmm.
1: And I know we're coming to the end of the summer, but if you still have a wedding to attend, we hope that you guys have a safe and wonderful celebration.
0: And we'll be back again next week when I have another case for you. Until then. See ya. Bye. Hey, everyone. I'm going to do some clicking. <laughs> She's a master clicker. <laughs> Your cloud water?
1: Well, okay. I saw a couple videos where girls had got like spiders in their straws. And I'm like terrified now. So I bought two <laughs> little covers. Because <laughs> like when we went to my parents, I would, like I, we were out painting and I wanted to take my cup. And I was like, but if I leave it outside, their house is really spidery. <laughs> like I'm going <laughs> to suck up a spider. <laughs> So I got a a cloud and a rainbow. <laughs> they both have a little face, on them. and you can make fun of me all you want, but I don't care.
0: <laughs> okay, Christy. <laughs> I am a big scaredy cat. We did have a conversation though at baseball the other day. Whether if you heard a noise, were you somebody that investigated, or were you somebody that stayed in bed under the covers? I was definitely in the majority. <laughs> Of hiding in the covers? Yes. Oh, I could never. <laughs> then
1: you're just a sitting duck. Okay, if I was living at your house and I heard a noise in my backyard and all that field, I wouldn't be like, hello? <laughs> Who's out there? Yes, you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got off topic here.
0: <laughs> I'm going to be the one safe in my bed with my gun release headboard going. <laughs> You've been watching too many Bond movies lately. Like I'm telling you, it's a real thing and it's genius for those of us that stay hidden in our beds. Oh so she Oh so she's uh, come on.
1: Stop it! We're not going there. Just clicked.
0: I know, I'm sorry. I thought Stop I could do it clicking. so quiet. I just wanted to see a picture of James Preston.
1: <laughs> I decided to not even give him the satisfi... I decided to not even give him the satisfica- satis- satisfi... satisfaction. <laughs> like, I haven't written a satisfaction. I'm like, satisfaction? Like,
0: <laughs> we all need a vacation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had to look at you for my brain to click. Yeah, yeah, yeah.